Hello everybody, welcome to Indisputable on TYT. I'm Jessica Burbank, I'll be breaking down the news for the day with none other than Jackson White. Jackson, are you ready to get into some news? I'm definitely ready. Last time we was on together, it was a lot of fun and we made some, some goods, had some good takes on everything. So I'm definitely ready to get in with you, let's go. All right, let's do that again, <laughs> let's turn to right. this. So Herschel Walker has been found to not really believe in what he says he believes. And it appears that right wingers are now in damage control mode after the Daily Beast ran a damning article about Herschel Walker, who is so called a pro-life Senate candidate down in Georgia, has paid off a former girlfriend to have an abortion according to these reports. After this, Herschel Walker's son, Christian Walker, took to the internet to expose some family secrets. Let's look at what Dana Lesh, who's the former NRA spokeswoman, said in regards to this scandal in defense of Mr. Walker. Please keep in mind that I am concerned about one thing and one thing only at this point. So I don't care if Herschel Walker paid to abort endangered baby eagles. I want control of the Senate. If the Daily Beast story is true, you're telling me Walker used his money to reportedly pay some skank for an abortion. And Warnock wants to use all of our monies to pay a whole bunch of skanks for abortions. Apparently his son, the left, I, I didn't, I've never followed his son. I'm not even going to get into his name or nothing. I'm not going to mention his name. I just wish that conservatives would stop racing towards every damn freak they see. They're so thirsty. Oh my gosh, they're an influencer on Instagram. I need to sit, I must have you do this. Oh, we got to stop it. Just stop it. It's so stupid. All right, very kind words from Miss Dana Lesh about women who get abortions. And we've got more from Newt Gingrich, who would rather blame mental health issues as the reason for Herschel Walker's behavior. Let's watch that. I talked to Herschel about this this morning, and I've known Herschel a good while. I think he's a remarkable person. I think he's the most important Senate candidate in the country because he'll do more to change the Senate just by the sheer presence, by his confidence, by his deep commitment to Christ, by the degree to which he is. You know, he's been through a long, tough period. He had a lot of concussions coming out of football. He suffered PTSD. He's got a lot going on. That is simply why he advocates for policies that he believes shouldn't personally apply to him. Makes a lot of sense. And finally, we've got Diamond and Silk comparing Walker's situation to that of Donald Trump. That your best bet is to vote for Herschel Walker. Walker. Okay. That's so right. get what you done heard. Uh-huh. That is distractions. Right. That's when President but, Trump was running. Uh-huh. Remember all of the distractions. I remember all of he the He grabbed, he said he gonna grab him by this. Uh-huh. And we was like, well, I'm so happy he grabbing somebody by the B instead of the D. By the D. All right, Jackson, what are your thoughts on all of this? Do any of these excuses hold water for Mr. Walker? Absolutely not. Well, first, I want to point out that Dana Lowe, she had to dehumanize a woman who had the abortion, you know, to basically link like, you know, it wasn't really his fault. She kind of like lured him into it like some type of a succubus. So that's really what she was doing. But at the end of the day, the Republican base is incredibly homogenous, not just with race, but also just with their cultural stances. Therefore, all that really matters is the agenda. And they know that Herschel Walker is going to vote in favor of it. And also, therefore, merits, morals, and principles really don't mean anything, especially when they know that 
they really aren't popular with younger generations. And that's why the Supreme Court's doing so much of what it's doing. And that's why they're moving the way they're moving. But effectively, the sexual and economic revolution for women basically lobotomized the conservative culture in this country. And they've been losing it ever since. And so that's really all this is a response to. But Herschel Walker really doesn't have the capacity to address this properly. So. Uh, I mean, Republicans don't care, but this certainly can't help him. That's that's for sure. Yeah, that's absolutely for sure. It's it's kind of interesting how every time there's some kind of scandal that goes to show, you know, these conservatives are preaching one thing but living their lives by a different set of standards and values, right? Saying women should not be allowed to have abortions, then they're paying for their girlfriends to have abortions. It's this typical playbook of the rules only apply to you you all. And, and we're gonna live our lives however we want. We'll always have access to abortion because we have a ton of resources and a ton of privilege in society. However, the people that are in their base, there are gonna be women who vote for these candidates who end up needing abortions because they're medically necessary. And you've got people like Dana Lesh saying, well, Warnock wants to pay for all women to get abortions and uses a different word than the one I just used, calling them skanks, whereas Herschel Walker, only paid for one. It's the the hypocrisy that it seems like conservatives don't care is standard within the leaders of their party. Absolutely. I mean, not just that, Herschel Walker, what he has four different children by four different women, none of who he stayed with to raise. So obviously that doesn't reflect conservative values. But at the end of the day, conservatives all throughout history, you know, they were the ones who fought for monarchies to stay in place. They were the ones who fought for slavery and segregation to stay in place. They were the, they're the ones now who don't want to move towards a better healthcare system that makes sense simply because in their ideals. Basically, especially in modern day conservatism, they continuously vote against their interests because they're just making their racism make sense. That's all it is at the end of the day. So whether it's their racism, sexism, classism, it all boils into them feeling like they're better than the others. But like you pointed out, a lot of women who vote for these people are about to suffer because of this and because of that, that's gonna damage the Republicans as well. Yeah, yeah, you make some really good points, especially about family values. You know, I just want to quickly point to Herschel Walker really making it a key tenant of his campaign to talk about the importance of fathers being present in their household when he is not present in his. And a big factor in this is that there has been a lack of economic opportunity in black communities across America. And when you have that kind of situation where people don't have a lot of opportunities to provide for their family, what do you think that's going to do to the family structure? And if you want to resolve that, you've got to offer some policies that address the root concern, not just complaining that there are households with absent fathers. But we will not see that from the conservatives in America, especially not Herschel Walker. So a man who came to the South Miami Police Department to accuse a fast food worker of spitting on him for using a racial slur was himself arrested in that police department. So this is 61 year old Mark Geltzer, who verbally abused a 17 year old cashier at McDonald's back in July. After the incident, police said Geltzer arrived at the department's lobby to report that the girl working at the fast food restaurant spit on him, accusations that police said were unfounded. He admitted to calling the cashier a useless N word. 
this is his photo. While at the station, not only did Geltzer demand a white officer help him, but the assistant chief said that the man went on to spew racial slurs towards his senior dispatch manager. He gets into an argument with her over getting a new officer and calls her the N word. So he's got a habit of doing this. Assistant Chief Charles Naney said, Naney said Geltzer was trespassed and told to leave that night. So he was trespassing in the police station. Assistant Chief Charles Nanny was told or would told WPLG News what happened after that. So this is Matthew Chapman with Raw Story. Fast forward to this past Friday when Geltzer returned to the department, said the report. Surveillance video showed him stumbling into the lobby where he continued his racist rants demanding the narrative on his report be changed. Nanny said he calls our senior black detective the N word, Nanny said. During the second incident, Geltzer came back armed with a gun. According to the report, Geltzer was armed with a gun when he confronted the police the second time. And then when turned away again, tried to run down an officer with his car in the parking lot. At this point, his luck ran out. Police followed him to Coral Gables, arrested him, and he was charged with a DUI resisting arrest and battery on a law enforcement officer. Following the arrest, he bonded himself out of jail, but he still faces a number of charges that include battery on a law enforcement officer, resisting arrest, and driving under the influence. Naney said he is also concerned for his employees and that he had even had someone escort employees when they leave to go home at the end of the night because they're concerned that now he is out of jail and he might come back. Now this is someone who clearly has a a habit of going into fast food restaurants, calling people the N word, then going to the police about what happened in the fast food restaurant. There's no confirmation that this cashier who was 17 years old working at McDonald's actually did spit on him. But then he's gonna verbally assault the police officers as well. Jackson, what are we supposed to do with people like this? What are your thoughts here? Uh, well, eventually they'll just have enough uh, lockups that they'll probably get a sentence for five to six years and then get in trouble in prison and, and stay in for longer. But this guy, like he, he made me think of like when somebody like the first time they do too much coke or something. Like they, 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 they used to a little bit, but they want to test the limits of their tolerance. And then he just went on, I mean, literally like he just goes on binges, like, like speed binges, like the McFlurry machine broke. So he went and just called him the N word, like ultimately, it's stupid, you know what I mean? And there definitely are people like this uh, sprinkled throughout society. But um, you know, he, he got himself arrested. So uh, ultimately uh, he, he's nuts and hopefully he stays in jail. It's crazy to me what it took to get the arrest on this guy. And you think about what were to happen if this was not a white dude. If this was a black man, I assure you he would have been arrested much sooner than he was from the very beginning from causing problems in a fast food restaurant while clearly intoxicated calling people names. Then going into the police department and demanding only to talk to an officer of the same race as him threatening them with a gun. Then trying to run down the officer with the car, he wasn't even arrested on the scene. They had to go back and follow him home. I think it's crazy how much this story really demonstrates the different treatment under the law if you're black or white in America. Absolutely, 100%. Because like, if he, if, if any, really anybody else would have done half the things that he did, even if it was a woman, you know what I'm saying? Like, they, they would, there definitely would have been stronger repercussions. Because you look at this guy's picture and he's, he, he's clearly nuts. So, 
Yeah, and, and to just punch down at the fast food worker as well. It's just mm-hmm. disgusting the state of affairs in America where you've got these people who are typically in a position of privilege. And we talk about Karen's a lot on indisputable, but it's like they have to lash out in everyday life towards people, a 17 year old minimum wage worker at a McDonald's. What are you gaining from this? What are you, what are you getting out of this? I think people are honestly just pretty sick. He's a loser, so you know. <laughs> That's all it is. We've got more losers. Let's look at this. What in the red state hell? You can take a gun, shoot somebody in the face. It's not hard. Sometimes it might even be fun if they're a godless commie. Now, what they're trying to do is sneak the COVID vaccine in your salads. I never had, I hate math. Somebody say amen. They stole the votes. The Dominion voting machines stole the votes. And George Soros, Mark Zuckerberg, paid $400 million to flip the votes. Mike the Pillar Man will tell you that. Right. So, so, oh, so, so Mike Lindell says that. So uh, that's, that's the fact then, right? Trump says that. Joe Biden has been dead since 2019. James Woods, the actor, is playing Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe, Poopy Pants. But the president is trying to get us back down with our economy because- So he is the president. Yes, he's very, he never conceded. He is very much the president of the Republic. Biden has been doing all his White House pictures out there in California at Black Rock Studio with the fake green screen. Right. And so he doesn't even live in the White House. Nobody lives in White House. Oh, so he's in California? Yeah. Okay. Mark Zuckerberg. That's my new favorite phrase. And according to her, not only is Biden dead, but some deceased celebrities are hanging out with Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the president of the 1776 president. So the 13 colonies? Would that be the 13 colonies? Yes, that's what it's going back to. Obama is playing Sleepy Joe Biden in a mask. George Woods, the actor, is playing Sleepy Joe, trying to wake people up by pretending to spend all this money in Ukraine that he signs and, and he's signing a blank paper. Tupac is still alive. Are you, Tupac's still alive? Yep. Where's Michael he? Jackson is still alive. Where are they? And there with Trump. Well, they're in the, and I'm, we're out here, damn it. I would have loved to have seen Tupac. I'll show you a picture. Tupac is alive and he's hanging out with Donald Trump. What? These people honestly get so invested in these conspiracy theories. It is scary, the state of public education in our country. The fact that we don't teach accurate history and critical thinking skills leads to this. It's really no fault of her own that this is where she's spending her time and energy. I really think we need to make public education more accessible for people of all ages because the real stuff that's going on in government is far crazier actually than any conspiracy I think someone could come up with. And unfortunately, this is so funny. You can't help but laugh at Sleepy Joe Poopy Pants. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a bug. 
Right, and Mark Zuckerberg. But uh, but yeah, like you pointed out, you know, there's just like a, a huge divide between people in this country who, in a lot of ways, just choose to follow information that makes them feel good. And the bigger issue is that this is really what the Republican Party has cultivated for itself. It's been in effect since I can even remember politics. I was born in '92. I remember even like my dad. He he's one of the people who got me into politics and he used to always be talking about Newt Gingrich. And Newt Gingrich really started pushing a lot of that ridiculousness. And ever since then, they've gone so far that this is a huge portion of their base and they really can't remove themselves from it. So, you know, it's funny to watch, but this is in a lot of ways all they're left with because all the only other choice they can make is to go to the left or go further into authoritarianism, which we know what they're doing. Yeah, it almost feels like they don't know what they're getting themselves into with this stuff because it seems very interesting. Like, oh yeah, the president's being played by some actor and Biden's really dead. It's all very interesting, right? It plays out like some kind of Netflix show, but there are consequences to voting for these people. There are consequences to voting for Donald Trump. There are real policy decisions that these people are making that are going to affect how much you make, whether or not your family can keep the lights on and pay your rent. And politics is not a game, but it's kind of being treated like a game by these people who are reading QAnon conspiracy theories. And I have this idea that the way we win them over is we give them you know, actual CIA history, which is far more insane, far more interesting and actually true. And will maybe help bridge some connections that, yeah, is Zuckerberg a good guy? No, he's mining all of our data and corporations are running the country. That's who we need to be mad at, not James Woods, who is playing, I don't know, President Biden. Do you think that has any shot at working, Jackson? Well, I think we need a little bit of everything. We need to educate people. We need to also, we need, I think the left needs to embrace a lot of what draws people in general, which is being strong, overtly strong. Not, you know, all the things we always talk about, not bending to corporate Democrats' will, not bending to conservative opinions, and just continuing to take the small wins for advantage and continuing to get people in office where we can. I think that that's really gonna make a huge difference at the end of the day. And I think that the fact that the Republican Party really is shooting themselves in the foot so much, you know, for instance, like role reversal, Lindsey Graham coming out with the 15 week ban and just the Republican Party doing so much unpopular stuff. I think that that opens the doors for progressives to really get more candidates in office because our fight is better, it just is. It's not even a secret either, right? Like we're fighting for a government by and for the people. We really like democracy. We want to see people have a say in how they're governed and how the economy works. And we saw it in this video where she says, you know, in our great republic, we live in a republic. They really hate even saying we live in a democracy. Do they not want to live in a government run by and for the people? It really seems as though they're completely advocating for authoritarianism and have given up on that with how much pressure they put on this idea that we live in a republic. It's a democratic republic, we're supposed to have a democracy. And, and too, I think a lot of the, you know, when conservatives say, ah, oh, it's a republic is just kind of like a gotcha. You know what I'm saying? Like there's really nothing underneath that. It's just like some type of rebuttal to the liberal fight of trying to, you know, uh, uphold democracy and just make society more equitable. Um, so, you know, that, that's a lot of all it is. Cause it's like you said, it doesn't really mean anything to be like, it's a republic. Like, okay, and. 
Yeah, just flexing on the libs by downplaying democracy. Makes a lot of sense. (laughs) We've got more for you on the other side. Stick and stay. Welcome back to Indisputable. It's Jessica Burbank here with Jackson White breaking down the news for the day. And coming soon is Unbossed with Nina Turner. That show will be running daily at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific. You can subscribe now. It's going to start up on October 17th, but you can subscribe at Unbossed TYT. Nina is going to expose how elites in government, media, and other sectors game the system and what people can do to fix that corruption. We've also got an exciting initiative going on here at TYT. We know that the folks in Mississippi has been have been left behind with a crisis. They don't have clean water there. And if each of our viewers give $5, we can raise enough by the end of the week to send 100 water testing kits down to the people suffering the water crisis in Mississippi. Go to tyt.com relief to make a contribution to the National Clean Water Collective for clean water and testing kits down in Jackson, Mississippi. Again, that's tyt.com slash relief. Let's get into some of your member comments and see what folks are saying. We've got Mickey C, the silver haired dragon said, according to Dana, Walker screwing anything that's breathing isn't a problem. But any woman who had sex with him is a skank, no double standard there. Yeah, really disgusting to see the misogyny coming from women on the right these days in post row America. We've got stop dragging my car around who said, how do people this racist and antisocial manage to get by on a day to day basis? That's a great question. I mean, I grew up in a pretty diverse city, but I think about the people who have never been exposed to people who don't look like them and then they don't know how to act when they move somewhere else. Uh, again, from Stop Dragging My Car Around, Ginny Thomas has really let herself go. I think that's a joke that our conspiracy theorist there was actually Ginny Thomas. Uh, someone else says, uh, wow, just wow, that woman is. So American, that was Faro Blue Blazer Dragon, pretty good. Uh, Then we've got Mojo Quid said, I always forget Diamond and Silk are people that exist. Every time I see a video of them, I'm reminded of why I forgot them. Yeah, maybe it's your memory, just suppressing Diamond and Silk. All right, we've got more stuff to get into here. You know what's next, I wish a Karen would. You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? I feel free. I'm not touching your truck. It's my truck. Okay, uh, then I won't touch your truck. Hey, don't I won't touch your truck. Hey, don't touch your truck. I'm not touching your truck. Hey, I'm not touching your truck. I'm touching what I bought. Hey, this is not your truck. This is not your truck. It's water that I paid for. No, it's in my truck. No, it's right not now, in it's your truck. Please move, move. You know your. Yes. I wish you nothing but harm. Mm-hmm. I put it back. No, you get out of my garage. This is my garage. This is my garage. That's your truck. This is my garage. Well, you sign it, it's yours. You're not signing it. I want my water that I paid for. You're refusing to give it to me. Nah. Yes, you are. You have to I never do that. They deliver and I sign it. Here, let me sign it. Let me sign it. Yeah, across all. Okay, where's your pen? 
Under duress, you have forced me to sign this. And you have caused me emotional and mental damage. Emotional and mental damage. What really gets me, how old are you? I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. It's like she's in kindergarten. And then she kind of speaks in this medieval manner. I wish you nothing but harm. What an interesting threat. Let's look at how she spoke to her husband when he came to the defense of this poor delivery driver. Don't call me a liar, Drake. I am probably the honest person in the whole United States. I don't go around lying. I don't go around calling people cheaters. Okay, I can finish it. Where's Ramon and Raul? Okay, I'll call him. Another one. Okay, bring another it. one. I put it right here. Right. Two bucks. Okay. Two bucks. Yeah, another one. I put it here. Right. Please don't bring the name. I'll bring my. I bring another one here, and they'll tell you I'm not a liar. I bring another. I'll bring my workers over here. She clearly does not deserve Drake, her very patient husband who is more than happy to sign for this delivery. I am not sure what leads someone to say, you know what? I'm not lying, I'm the most honest person in all of the United States. This is you, your husband and the delivery driver. What are you making the case to in any sense? Now she's making the case to the viewers of Indisputable and Jackson. What are your thoughts on this? Oh, well, she strikes me as a sleep deprived alcoholic or something, or at best someone who just doesn't go out often. She definitely doesn't socialize with people. And again, she really strikes me as someone who's like always in the house, really doesn't do much. And her husband kind of just like, they have like a codependent relationship of some kind, and he just tolerates her, or, you know, I'm sure he loves her, but she's clearly not well. But I guess at least she ended up signing the papers. So they got the water, and, you know, Raul and whatever the other guy's name was, they got to go on to the next delivery. So all is well. Yeah, I think that's so spot on. She absolutely strikes me as someone who does not leave the house much. And I feel like social skills are something that you've got to keep up on. Like during the pandemic, I remember when we first went outside again, I was like, I don't know how to act when I'm outside. There are definitely people. <laughs> Who just like don't spend time socializing and they end up losing their social skills and it leads to, to Karen behavior. I think you're right on that. Yeah, absolutely. It can lead to just general insecurity around other people. So uh yeah, you know, but again, they got their waters and we'll continue to expose Karen's on here every day. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thankfully the husband was super patient, but what a tough position to be in. It's it's almost begging the case that we need Medicare for all, because there are people like this who are clearly not getting the care that they need and making it everybody else's problem like that delivery driver there. Any last thoughts on that, Jackson? No, I think you closed that out perfectly. Well said. This is a perfect commercial for universal health care. <laughs> Absolutely. Get rid of the Karen's. The solution's <laughs> Medicare for all. Yeah. All right. across the country, we hear a lot about mass shootings happening in the United States. But at least 24 children and a pregnant teacher were killed by a former police officer who went on a shooting and stabbing spree at a daycare center in northeastern Thailand on Thursday, shortly after appearing in court on drug charges. Here's an excerpt from NBC News on that incident. 
A really disturbing story out of Thailand this morning. Police now say, confirming uh, in a press conference that just wrapped up, that 38 people have been killed in this mass shooting. That, according to Reuters, uh, they say that 22, at least 22 of them, were children at this daycare, uh, which is about 300 miles north of the capital, Bangkok, along with two teachers and a police officer. This happened in the middle of the day. It was nap time for the kids, about 12.30 in the afternoon, when police say this gunman entered the daycare. Uh, he shot his way through a locked door, according to one witness, uh, and that is where these children were sleeping. Police also saying, according to uh, Reuters, just in this press conference, that he used a knife uh, to kill the children. They also had two guns with him inside that daycare. He then fled in his car. Police say that he was shooting from his car, that he rammed people with his car. He then arrived home, shot his wife and child, and killed himself. The details of this story are really disturbing. The suspect whom police named as 34-year-old Panmunk Kamrab, you can see his picture right next to me. He had served at Nawang's police station at Nangwa Bomfu province until he was arrested with methamphetamines last year, officials said. Kamrab took his own life after the rampage. Uh, reporting from NBC News again, the suspect had appeared in court hours earlier Thursday on a drug charge that led to him being fired from the police last year. Comrade entered the center at lunchtime when about 30 children were present. Local official Jirapa Boonsum told Reuters, one teacher who was shot dead was eight months pregnant, she said. In a statement on Facebook, Prime Minister Prayuth Chan Ocha called the shooting a shocking incident. He added that he had ordered Lieutenant General Yang Yong Wech Asuth, the commander in chief of the police, to fly to Nangwa Lam Phu to take necessary actions and all involved parties to provide immediate relief to all affected people. The government said it would provide financial aid to the victims' families to help cover funeral expenses and medical treatment. Now, mass shootings are very rare in Thailand, but not un unknown. In 2020, a soldier who was angry over a property deal gone sour killed at least 29 people and wounded 57 in a rampage that spanned four locations. John Ungam Korn, a former Thai senator, wrote on Facebook that Thailand should have strict gun control restrictions like Japan, England, and many European countries but added that this would require a citizen-led government to be realized. So yeah, some solutions being proposed, but really a disgusting situation and one that seemingly could have been avoided. It seems like many people knew that this guy was not doing well. He was found to be on meth and now he has shot up a daycare. Just really devastating and shocking to hear about mass shootings of this nature happening somewhere other than the United States. Jackson, I wanna bring you in here. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, this is definitely. I remember I got the notification for this real early in the morning, and you know this is definitely hard to see anytime it happens anywhere. And you know, like you pointed out, you know, people were aware that he wasn't doing well. He got you know released from the police force because of methamphetamines, and his actions screamed a violent meth-induced rampage. He you know probably was depressed and. Did way too much of it, and I'm not diagnosing, but you know, again, methamphetamine was involved. He was depressed, um, and he went on this rampage and killed his wife and child before he killed himself. So, um, you know, unfortunately, we 
often have to see things like this happen. But the difference between America and a lot of other nations is they oftentimes act on stuff like that. Now, that's not to say Thailand will, but this type of stuff happens over here all the time. And we've yet to really do anything about it whatsoever. So it's just, it sucks to see stuff like this because they were a bunch of kids. Like, you know, like what the hell? Absolutely. And then to have the government there say, we're going to step in and we're going to help pay medical and funeral expenses and give financial aid to these families. We have so many mass shootings in the United States, you never hear them offering that for, for these kinds of situations that play out in our own country. It's just disgusting. We don't take care of our own when we see that people are sick and not doing well and might be a risk for violence, right? This was a former police officer. The shooting in 2020 in Thailand was a soldier. These are people who are likely struggling with their mental health. Clearly drugs were involved. If we took care of each other and looked out for each other and had the resources to do so, we could avoid situations like this from happening. But it's disgusting that in the United States, even when situations like this happen, we don't even take care of our people afterwards. It's amazing that they're saying, yeah, we're gonna help cover the funeral costs and medical expenses. How expensive would it be if we offered that here in the United States? Maybe that would be a motivator for people to do something about gun control and mass shootings in the US so that their tax dollars don't keep going to covering funerals and medical expenses. Any last thoughts on this, Jackson? Uh, no, unfortunately, I think that you know there really aren't words to put into how horrible this was. Um, but all we can do is continue to fight here for better gun laws uh, every way that we can, especially locally. Um, you know, in terms of changing our law enforcement, everything we have to up our ante and have to get more involved every single day. That's very well said. We've got more for you after this break. Stick and stay. We're back, we're back on Indisputable. And add to your watch list, the watch list with JR Jackson every day, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time. You can subscribe at youtube.com slash watchlist TYT. And coming soon, test your knowledge of fake news with reactions with Ravana. Thursdays, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time. You can tune in at twitch.tv slash TYT. Join Rihanna as she goes through different headlines and asks viewers to guess on which news is fake and which news is real in the chat. And speaking of the chat, let's hear from some of our member comments. So we've got stop dragging my car around saying, I think maybe the emotional and mental damage were already in place before the water was delivered. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, under duress, you want the water, Karen, uh, says Laurel Harrison. Uh, we've got Miss Anonymous. I don't understand why these monsters target children. Yeah, I think it's really hard to put ourselves in the mindset of people who do things like this. Uh, but I do believe that uh, many times it's it's people who have endured severe trauma. I would not like to believe that a human being is naturally capable of something like that. Uh, and those people are pretty sick. We've got Iroquois Pliskin who said, if it happened in the US, GOP would be like, well, if the fetus had a gun, the pregnant mom would be alive. <laughs> Very good point. The solution is always someone else with a gun. Then we've got Nightmare316 saying, OMG, she's one of those brats who claims everything as theirs. That is definitely a specific type of Karen that is out there. Uh, then we've got Hot Pot Bitty Dragon who said, all those plastic bottles, she's high on plastics. Very good. 
Last comment I'll read, calm like a bomb says, anyone else notice how when this happens in any other country, it's international news. But here in the United States, it is just Thursday. Very well said, that is such a good point. And speaking of news that is typical in the United States, but would be an outrage at any other point in time throughout history. Amazon has suspended dozens of their workers at its only unionized warehouse in the country on Tuesday, one day after they organized a work stoppage following a fire at the facility in JFK 8 in Staten Island. Here's a video of that fire and how management at the warehouse responded. So last night, just two days after that fire in Staten Island, there was a fire just outside of Albany, New York at ALB1 Warehouse. Christian Smalls, president of the Amazon Labor Union, posted on Twitter about a fire in an Albany, New York warehouse. This is ALB1 just outside of the city there. You can see the smoke from that fire looks much worse than the one just two days ago. So more background on the incidents in the Amazon warehouses. We've got words from Connor Spence, who is one of the suspended workers. Spence is a picker at the warehouse known as JFK 8 in Staten Island. Island and the secretary treasurer for the Amazon Labor Union, which is the grassroots worker led group behind the successful union push at Amazon. Connor told CNN that a fire broke out at the warehouse on Monday, causing the entire building to be evacuated and all the day shift workers to be sent home. When night shift workers arrived, they were not really told what was going on, Spence said. Eventually, he said managers began telling the employees to get back to their work. Connor went on to say the issue that people had was the building still reeked with smoke. It was difficult to breathe at some workstations. We wanted to be sent home with pay because it was unsafe. Reporting from CNN said Spence who works the day shift but stayed late with the night shift workers to offer support said they organized a work stoppage and demanded that workers be sent home with pay. He estimates more than 100 people participated in the stoppage. After a while, it was clear that they weren't going to cooperate with us, that they weren't going to hear our demands. So we decided to walk out, he said. An Amazon spokesperson confirmed that the fire did indeed happen at the warehouse in JFK 8. We don't have reporting yet from Albany because that fire occurred late last night. But reports range from roughly 50 workers that have been suspended to over 80 workers that have been suspended for participating in the stoppage. The sit down strike of workers was about 500 to 700 workers that were sitting in the cafeteria at that Amazon facility. But a huge group of workers decided to walk out after management wouldn't hear their demands. Simultaneously, a warehouse in Huntsville, Alabama was on fire when the, the warehouse was on fire at JFK 8 in Staten Island. So this is a really shocking story. It, it's reminiscent of the Triangle Shirtwaist fire, which is a point in history when we really understood that having workers working under hazardous conditions is not okay. And we're at 2022 in the United States of America, and this is how workers are being treated. Jackson, I wanna bring you in here. What are your thoughts on this? 
Well, I think that Amazon is one of the best examples America has to offer of how classist our society truly is. And just a decades long war against minimizing unions with you know BS bogus right to work laws in states like my home state of Missouri, where I'm from, and that spread across and just, you know, we have the data that shows that the middle class was the strongest when unions were the biggest. And obviously unions do have their issues like any type of organization will. But you know, just Amazon really is too big for its own britches. They're continuously buying up more companies. And they really, in my opinion, are unable to even address these issues at all. Because changing company policy would require a lot of effort for the size that Amazon really is. So a lot of the change that Amazon needs really will just simply require them to be broken up and made into smaller and more diverse entities. Because once you get to a certain size, it's really not that much change you really can do. Yeah, there are definitely a lot of unions that are not worker led like the Amazon union is. Like in this case, we've got Connor Spence, who is the treasurer, who is also a picker at this warehouse and was able to help organize the workers. Because the Amazon labor union is worker led, they're able to address the concerns and specific issues of their workers much more effectively than if this was some big outside international trying to organize those workers. ALB won the Albany warehouse that caught on fire last night has a union election in one week. Uh, that's on October 12th, but Amazon has yet to formally recognize or bargain with the Amazon labor union at JFK 8, despite losing the first round of its efforts with the NLRB to overturn the union's victory. The incident in Staten Island also comes a week ahead of a separate union election, which I just mentioned. That is organized by the Amazon labor union at an Amazon facility near Albany, New York, just outside of the city. There, so really shocking stuff with Amazon. Not surprising. We would all call on Jeff Bezos and Amazon to recognize that union because no workers should be working under those conditions. So let's turn to something else. The Supreme Court of the United States is taking strides in again stripping away more of our rights. I'm not being dramatic, this is very serious stuff. So it looks like the Supreme Court will weaken racial gerrymandering in the United States. On Tuesday, the Supreme Court heard Merrill versus Milligan, an Alabama redistricting case focusing on section two of the VRA that bars any rule that results in a denial or abridgment of the right to vote on account of race. Depending on how the court decides, Merrill could allow states more latitude to constrain the political power of black and brown Americans and shrink their access to public resources on the local level. Section two of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 prohibits voting practices or procedures that discriminate on the basis of race, color, or membership in one of the language minority groups. So what's at issue in this case in Merrill that they're hearing oral, oral arguments on right now? So in Merrill, the bench is reviewing a lower court opinion from January that blocked Alabama's newly drawn congressional map for likely violating section two of the VRA. That map includes just one district where black voters can put their preferred candidate in office, though black Americans make up 27% of the state's voting population. Because the lower court judges determined that black voters have less opportunity than other Alabamans to elect candidates of their choice to Congress. Congress, lawmakers were told to form a second majority black district or something close to it. 
One argument Alabama makes is that the harm of the VRA is that it essentializes race. That is, it awards districts to voters based on race and deepens divisions. It's worth noting that Alabama really isn't arguing that the lower court misunderstood the VRA. Instead, the state is asking that the Supreme Court reimagine the rules governing Section 2 claims. So that's a very interesting case that could result in us having districts where black votes are diluted in the United States of America. Meanwhile, another Supreme Court case could weaken unions ability to strike in the United States. The case is Glacier Northwest versus the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. It revolves around a 2017 labor dispute involving unionized drivers at a concrete company in Washington State. Glacier Northwest filed a lawsuit to force the union to compensate it for ready mix concrete. It claims the union destroyed intentionally by declaring a work stoppage. Washington State's Supreme Court ruled that the strike was arguably protected by federal labor law. And the company's claims should therefore be dismissed, leaving the dispute under the federal NLRB. But Glacier Northwest and conservative groups argue that the federal labor law should not preempt the company's claims and that it should be able to sue the Teamsters in state court, suing them for the damages of money lost because the concrete hardened while the workers were on strike there. The labor lawyer said a Supreme Court decision against the Teamsters could open unions up to lawsuits by employers seeking to recoup costs associated with the strikes. That in turn would make workers more hesitant to go on strike to improve pay and working conditions, thereby weakening unions most powerful weapon, the ability to withhold labor. And in recent years, the conservative court has not been friendly to labor. So the fact that they've taken this case suggests that things are not going in a good direction for labor protections in the United States of America. In 2018, the court issued a historic ruling making the entire US public sector right to work, allowing government employees to opt out of paying union fees, even if they're covered by a union contract. The same year, the court issued a historic decision establishing that employers can force workers to sign arbitration agreements as a condition of employment, making it harder for workers to band together as victims of wage theft or discrimination. Now, the way this court is deciding on which cases to hear is very political. They are submitted hundreds of cases every year. It takes four justices to pick from all of those writs of certiori, which are basically cases that people think the Supreme Court should hear. They get to decide which cases they will hear. Of course, those four to five conservative justices on the bench are handpicking cases that will allow them to overturn precedents that will take away our rights. So this is just a brief synopsis of how the court chooses writs of certiori. Certiori or certs is generally associated with the writ that the Supreme Court of the United States issues to review a lower court's judgment. A case cannot, as a matter of right, be appealed to the United States Supreme Court. As such, a party seeking to appeal to the United States Supreme Court from a lower court decision must file a writ of certiori. In the Supreme Court, if four justices agree to review the case, the court will hear the case. In June, in his opinion on Roe versus Wade, Clarence Thomas said the quiet part out loud. He basically asked for people to submit writs to the court so they could overturn Obergefell and Griswold precedents. 
The conservative justice took aim at the court's 2003 ruling in Lawrence versus Texas and its 2015 decision in Obergefell versus Hawes. Hodges, Lawrence established that criminal penalties for sodomy or private sexual acts between consenting adults are unconstitutional. That decision came down in a six to three ruling. Obergefell legalized same sex marriage in a nationwide, legalized it nationwide in a five four decision. Thomas, who joined the court in 91, dissented in both the 20. 2003 and 2015 Supreme Court decisions. In his concurring opinion with the majority decision to overturn abortion rights, Thomas wrote that the Supreme Court should reconsider all of this court's substantive due process precedents, including Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergefell. The justice contended that those precedents were demonstrably erroneous. Even back in October of 2020, Justice Thomas and Alito urged the court to fix its ruling on Obergefell. They have said time and time again that they believe these precedents that give us the right to have private relationships and have same sex relationships, our ability to have an abortion that fall under the due process clause and the right to privacy. They are looking to overturn all of these precedents simply because now they have a majority of five justices that do not represent the majority opinions in the United States. And it's been called on time and again for President Biden and the Democratic Party to make the decision to add more Supreme Court justices to the bench. It is disgusting that five people can make a decision for 330 million people and take away their rights. That is really what we are at the risk of. Think about how much power corporations have in the United States. If workers lose the right to strike, we will be losing our freedom in this country. And it's been argued that we should have 13 justices on the bench one for all of the circuit courts in the United States. But there's a lot of controversy for some reason about stacking the court, but everything is on the line if we do not. Jackson, what are your thoughts on this? Well, if Republicans needed to stack the court, they absolutely would. And you know, at the end of the day, it's simply corruption that's kept the Democrats from, you know, achieving simple wins that they easily could have because the reality is is that the Republican Party has been waiting and working for decades to have this level of judicial authority. And with their shrinking generational popularity, they really don't have any time to lose. So they've been going after everything, you know, as quickly as they can. Because I mean, why wouldn't they? You know, like you said, they're these five people who are in this position where people really can't do much about what they do. Why wouldn't they do this? You know, so unfortunately, we're at you know we're at the mercy of these people who really don't care how we feel at all. Um, and several of those people who were just rushed in, you know, Trump got three people on the Supreme Court uh, just in his one tenure. Uh, so you know, this is the result of the ruthlessness and the commitment of the Republican Party and the right wing in this country. Yeah, I oftentimes think about like what will it take to get people in the streets? Because this is very serious what the Supreme Court is is about to do. And in 2021, in April, congressional Democrats introduced the Judiciary Act of 2021 to expand the court by adding four seats, creating a 13 justice Supreme Court. We hardly see them fighting for that. And we know that power concedes nothing without a demand, but it's like not at all sexy to be like, hey, the Supreme Court's going pretty bad. Like we should all be in the streets before we lose all of our rights. It feels like it's gonna be too late before the majority of people in America realize this is a problem because we don't really see this getting coverage on mainstream news. 
Yeah, definitely not. And you know, because a lot of the mainstream news, they're giant companies themselves that don't really want to encourage unionization or anything along those lines either. So, you know, like you said, we're getting to a point where our backs are being put against the wall. And, you know, once that happens, unfortunately, the violence is often the result. So, hopefully, we can avoid a lot of that moving forward. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And even if we have this overturning of the precedent that there is federal law that protects workers ability to strike. If we see this Glacier Northwest case go the other way, we're already gonna be at a point where we've lost so many of our freedoms thanks thanks to the Supreme Court, thanks to conservative justices across the country, thanks to lack of action by the Democratic Party. And we'll be in a place where it doesn't really matter if it's illegal or we'll lose wages, we're gonna have nothing to lose. And so when you see labor leaders calling for a general strike come 2024, it makes a lot of sense. And I think we are on the brink of violence, but thankfully withholding our labor is really how we get a message across without having to take that final step, really hitting them where it hurts in their pockets and in their profits. Hello, somebody, we are back on Indisputable. And I say hello, somebody, because Nina Turner has a show coming up, which I'm gonna plug again. It is called Unbossed. It will be a daily show at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, starting on October 17th. You should subscribe now so you get those videos coming into your feed once the show starts. That will be youtube.com slash unbossed. TYT. So definitely check that out. Make sure you're subscribed. The show's going to be starting pretty soon. It's sneaking up on us. We've got a couple of weeks left. Let's hear from some member comments. So Donald James says, those are dangerous fumes. Who in their right mind would want to stay there? That's a really good point. People that were there on the scene were saying it smells like chemicals. This is a compactor that compresses boxes that caught on fire. It would absolutely have been dangerous for them to stay, but instead, you know, they get suspended and lose their jobs as a result. Guillermo Gonzalez says that's capitalism. The show must go on, right? People must get their packages in two days. Some of you might die. That's a risk Jeff Bezos is willing to take, apparently. Susie B says, this is not an Alabama issue in regard to our story on gerrymandering and voters' rights. Just like women's right to autonomy over their own body isn't a one state issue. Once states are given the okay to take away rights in one, all others will follow suit. Absolutely, this will lead to states across the country having gerrymandered districts that dilute the votes of black and brown Americans across the country. Really, a lot is on the line with that case, and oral arguments are happening now. Aaron Okino says, it's already bad. America has the lowest worker rights standards and the lowest worker protection regulations in industrialized countries. Yeah, it's a really sad state of affairs. We've got some folks speculating about the fires in Amazon, speaking of worker rights and working conditions. Nada Dragon says, who's starting these fires? Amazon, union busters, workers? It seems as though Amazon has neglected dangerous conditions for so long. And workers have brought these up with managers that there are OSHA violations in the warehouses. And these fires could have been avoided if they simply paid attention to what their workers were warning them about. But let's get into this next story. This is some insane behavior. 
A Southwest pilot is suing the company, her union, and a former colleague who pleaded guilty to dead bolting the cockpit door on an airplane mid-flight and stripping naked in front of her. Pilot Christine Jannings or Janning alleges that Southwest retaliated by grounding her after she reported Michael Hack's behavior to the company and the FBI. She was grounded for more than three months, costing her part of her salary, and she was required to take unnecessary flight simulator training before returning to fly. She also alleged on the day she was grounded, the airline stranded her in Denver and the FBI had to book her a flight home. And that a manager later disparaged her flying competency in a memo sent to 25 plus employees. What does that have to do with her allegations about sexual misconduct towards this pilot? Nothing at all. She also alleges that Southwest Airlines Pilots Association conspired with the airline and refused to support her. She is suing Hack for sexual assault. He pleaded guilty last year to a federal misdemeanor charge of committing a lewd incident or indecent or obscene act and was sentenced to probation. So he has already pled guilty for a misdemeanor here, a charge of committing a lewd, indecent, or obscene act. But then his attorney completely backtracks. So Michael Salnick said that his client disrobed only after Janning encouraged him to. Salnick claims Janning asked Hack if there was anything he wanted to do before retiring, to which he replied, the desire to fly naked. He alleges she told Hack to go ahead and then made sexual advances after he disrobed. He said Hack rejected those advances and adamantly denied a lewd act had occurred. According to the lawsuit that was filed last week in Orange County, Florida, Janning had never met Hack before August of 2020. And when she was his co-pilot on a flight from Philadelphia to Orlando, she says Hack, a 27 year veteran of the airline had used his seniority rights the previous day to bump another pilot who had been scheduled to command the flight. Janning believes that's because he saw a woman was the scheduled co-pilot. So this was perhaps premeditated. When they reached cruising altitude, Hack told her this was his final flight and there was something he wanted to do before retirement. He bolted the door so no flight attendant could enter. He then allegedly put the plane on autopilot, stripped off his clothes, began watching pornography on his laptop and committed a lewd act for 30 minutes while taking photos and videos of himself. At a sentencing hearing last year, Hack called the incident a consensual prank that got out of hand. It doesn't seem that that is the case. Janning said in the lawsuit that she's horrified, but she kept flying in the plane while taking photos to create a record. The plane landed safely and that wasn't Hack's final flight. He flew for three more weeks after this. Meanwhile, Janning didn't report the incident to a Southwest employee relations investigator until three months later. She said she waited because her boss had disparaged her to a male colleague previously. She said the act, she asked the investigator not to inform her boss, but she did. Janning said she was told that because Hack had retired, the airline's investigation was closed. Janning then went to the FBI who charged Hack. She alleges Southwest had Hack 
had sent Hack to a Montreal sexual harassment counseling center after a 2008 incident with a flight attendant. The response from both the company and the union. Southwest denied Janning's allegations, saying in a statement, we immediately supported Janning by cooperating with the appropriate outside agencies as they investigated. When she contacted the union, its leaders did nothing to help her, but did write a letter to Hack's judge during his misdemeanor case, saying he had a spotless record. Now we know that that's definitely not the case. If he had to attend a sexual harassment training in 2008, it's really sad that the union is not stepping in and helping this worker who clearly has a case here, the FBI has to get involved because not only will Southwest not manage its employees terrible behavior, but also the union is not supporting the worker either. Now the FBI is involved. Imagine being on an airplane, you're trapped in confined quarters with your co-pilot and this is what goes down. Also imagine being a passenger on this flight while this is happening. Jackson, this is craziness, what are your thoughts? Well, I think this is a great example of why many women never come forward at all. Because oftentimes they literally can't afford the consequences that they are likely to face. You know, being that people are in positions of seniority above them and they can put them through unnecessary obstacles like was done with this woman. And you know, obviously it's good that this story got out, but this guy, I mean, his defense really was horrible. Cause it was like, well, it was a prank, but it's like, you're an adult, you know what I mean? And People, you know, men who are socially and sexually competent with women don't do stuff like this. You know what I'm saying? Like it's really just like a dominance trip, like, you know, making her feel uncomfortable so that I can feel in control of the situation in some type of way. You know what I mean? Just given that we're such sexual creatures and men really are more hypersexual than women, generally speaking. You know what I'm saying? When you don't deliver upon those needs in a proper way, guys oftentimes develop weird characteristics and behavior like this. Um, to fulfill those needs. So, um, but unfortunately, women go through stuff like this regularly, and a lot of them never come forward because they have to pay their bills. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to make a joke about like hijacking, jacking the plane. It's not appropriate. We don't need to take <laughs> light of this. This is a bad situation. Solidarity with this worker. I hope she gets justice and <laughs> doesn't end up losing her job. All right, let's go to this next story. As if we didn't think things could get worse with Dr. Oz. If you could say anything, you know, what could get worse with the Dr. Oz situation? I don't know if we found out he kills puppies. Well, that's exactly what we found out. Reviews of studies published by Dr. Oz between 1989 and 2010- reveals his research team killed 300 dogs and inflicted undue suffering on them- and used other live animals in experiments. So Mehmet Oz, who is running for office in Pennsylvania, used to be a principal investigator at the Columbia University Institute of Comparative Medicine Labs for years, assuming full scientific, administrative, and fiscal responsibility for the conduct of his studies. Dr. Oz is the GOP candidate that's running in that race in Pennsylvania. The general election for that race is next month. Oz was initially trailing behind Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. But after key police endorsements and anti-Fetterman segments on Fox News, latest polling shows that that race is tightening. 
So let's get into these experiments. Over the course of 75 studies published in academic journals reviewed by Jezebel, Oz's team conducted experiments on at least 1,027 live animal subjects that included dogs, pigs, calves, rabbits, and small rodents. 34 of these experiments resulted in the deaths of at least 329 dogs, while two of his experiments killed 31 pigs and 38 experiments killed 661 rabbits and rodents. In the early 2000s, testimony from a whistleblower and veterinarian named Catherine Del Orto about Oz's research detailed extensive suffering inflicted on his team's canine test subjects including multiple violations of the Animal Welfare Act, which sets minimum standards of care for dogs, cats, primates, rabbits, and other animals in the possession of animal dealers and laboratories. The law specifically requires researchers and breeders use pain relieving drugs or euthanasia on the animals and not use paralytics without anesthesia or experiment multiple times on the same animal. Some of the cruelty was detailed by the whistleblower in this situation. Del Orto testified that at least one dog who was kept alive for a month continued experimentation for continued experimentation despite her unstable painful condition, despite how data from her continued experimentation was deemed unusable. According to Del Orto, one Oz-led study resulted in a litter of puppies being killed by intracardic injection with syringes of expired drugs inserted into their hearts without any sedation. Upon being killed, the puppies were allegedly left in a garbage bag with living puppies who were their litter mates. The settlement details with Columbia University show that in May 2004, the university was ordered by the USDA to pay a $2,000 penalty for violations of the Animal Welfare Act. The fine paid by Columbia was the result of a settlement between the university and the USDA based on the findings of Columbia's internal investigation of Oz's research. So that makes a lot of sense, it's an internal investigation. Columbia decides what the outcome of this will be. And this was Oz's lab at Columbia and the fine was $2,000, makes a lot of sense. The USDA accepted these findings, but according to Del Orto, the review was faulty and had investigators on the committee that were also complicit in this type of poorly designed cruel and Animal experimentation. Del Orto also noticed that while Oz wasn't the one who euthanized the dogs and puppies himself, when your name is on the experiment and the way the experiment is designed inflicts such cruelty to these animals, by design there's a problem. Months after paying the $2,000 fine in December of 2004, Columbia defended Oz amid the animal abuse allegations calling him a highly respected researcher and clinician who adhered to the highest standards of animal care, but neglected to deny any of the specific allegations Del Orto had made against Oz. So pretty much the payment of this $2,000 fine was admission of, of what had gone on. Whether or not this punishment is appropriate for what Oz has done is irrelevant, it's pretty clear that he did these things. This past April, the university seemingly cut all ties with Oz. They stripped all of his personal pages from their website. So clearly, they're kind of covering themselves up here. They don't want to show their affiliation with Oz. They probably thought that this would surface again, given everything that surfaced with Oz now running for office in Pennsylvania. 
it really feels like the end of the Wizard of Oz the movie when they pull back the curtain and we find out he's not such a good guy. Jackson, are you a fan of Dr. Oz? What do you think of this? Uh, no, no, I'm really not too much of a fan of him. I never really knew too much about him. And from my perspective, I mean, him running for office was always unnecessary because generally speaking, he's an American icon, you know, and it's when he entered politics. And often when people do enter politics that you start looking at like the records of the things that they've really done because that type of stuff starts to matter more than if you're like a general celebrity and you're not potentially voting on people's ability to do this or that. You know what I'm saying? But really, if he was gonna do this, then he's really more of a centrist corporate Democrat than anything else. And even Republican voters see him as that, like a liberal in disguise. So, I mean, if this was what he had to do, I think he, you know, he and he lives in New Jersey. So he's rich enough to basically run wherever he wants to. He could have done this differently, but we'll see what Republicans do when it comes to time to vote. Should Dr. Oz hold public office? I don't know, he lives in New Jersey and he kills puppies, you tell me. We've got to go to another break. (laughs) We'll be back after this. We're back on Indisputable. It's Jessica Burbank and Jackson White here breaking down the news for you. This next story is more of the same. So indigenous leaders are urging Texas schools to forfeit games in protest against the Port Natchez Groves High School mascot and cheer for past insensitive displays like this one from 2020. Watch this. It was last month when the Coalition Against Native Mascots Texas on September 7th announced formal letters were sent by the South Texas chapter Indigenous Peoples Movement to each of the schools scheduled to play the high school this football season. The invite asks the schools to stand in solidarity with indigenous people as part of its forfeit against racism campaign. It described Port Neches Grove's Indian mascot as racist and claimed it perpetuates harmful negative stereotypes. At the time of the initial reporting here, none of the school districts notified were able to confirm they received the invitation by press time. Since then, it appears there have been no news of further developments. The call to action followed on the heels of recent backlash of Port Nietzsche's when in spring, there was this viral video circulating of a drill team performing at Disney World. And listen carefully to what they're saying here. Cherokee Nation Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. had this to say about that performance at Disney. Port Natchez Grove's independent school district continues to use offensive and stereotypical depictions of our tribe. And this is yet again exemplified by their cheer team recently in Orlando. For the past couple of years, we have written to the Port Natchez superintendent and school board asking them to cease using this offensive imagery, chanting, symbolism, and other practices in their school traditions, as this does nothing but dishonor us and all Native American tribes who are making great strides in this country. School leaders need to focus 
or need educating on cultural appropriateness should apologize for continuing to ignore our or our request to stop and need to make swift changes to correct these offensive displays across their school districts. Pretty clear there what they want to have happen. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the Disney World spokesperson Jackie Waller said in the statement, quote, the live performance in our park did not reflect our core values and we regret it took place. It was not consistent with the audition tape the school provided and we have immediately put measures in its place so this is not repeated. So let's briefly talk history. These are people making a mockery of indigenous people that the colonizers of the United States committed genocide against. So in 1838, then President Andrew Jackson, who we'll mention Donald Trump was a big fan of, created the Indian Removal Act that forcibly removed indigenous groups in the United States from their lands, including the Cherokee Nation. It would eventually lead to the tragic event of the Trail of Tears, where 60,000 indigenous people were forcibly displaced from 1830 to 1850. Over 4,000 of the 15,000 Cherokees died during the Trail of Tears. And this is the portrait Trump had hanging in the Oval Office of Andrew Jackson. Now today, things aren't much better. According to the Administration for Native Americans, the poverty rate for American Indians living on reservations is 29.4%. Compared with the US national average of 15.3%, the reservation poverty rate for Indian families is 36% compared to the national family poverty rate of 9.2%. This is unacceptable that people are chanting these things at Disney World of all places and still making a mockery of indigenous cultures. Jackson, do you have any quick last thoughts on this? Yeah, just um, you know, just a general conservative plight to say f you and get away with it, and nobody can do anything about it. Because I mean, it's not like these types of cheers or mascots are necessary to uh, the livelihood of these organizations. So them not changing it uh, really is just uh, pettiness and racism, and it's ridiculous. All right, thanks, Jackson. Thanks everybody for tuning in. More of the same. Not easy to just or not hard to just pick another mascot. You can find more of Jackson's commentary on Rebel HQ. Jackson, where else can the people find you? You can follow me on Twitter at SlimFitChacho. I just started a new podcast called Politics and Paper. You can just follow me on links for their YouTube. Got some type of update going on, so I don't have a custom URL yet. But I'm streaming live later, so check me out, Politics and Paper. Follow me on Twitter at SlimFitChacho. And it was great being here with you today, Jessica. I thought we did well. And somebody in the comments said they gave Jessica the keys to the Ferrari over here at TYT. They definitely did, you've been killing it. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. Remember to check out Jackson. And as Dr. Richie says, the truth is indisputable. Thanks for watching with us today. We'll see you next time. Welcome to Indisputable. I'm your host, Dr. Rashad Richie. We got a lot happening today. But what do we do on this show? We tell the truth. You know why we tell the truth? Because the truth is simply indisputable. Rashad, great to be here. Congratulations on the new show. And I gotta let everybody know that Rashad and I go way back. Here's the pattern that we see in all of these Karen stories. They think they own stuff they do not own. Now, where does that come from? I don't know, maybe slavery. Maybe they think they should still own black people. This is what happens when Karens weaponize the police. When you're used to privilege, equality seems like oppression. It hits you in a certain way when someone 
is holding you against your will, treating you like you're a criminal and you're an innocent person. This is something that black people face no matter where they are. A stronger black economy lends itself to a stronger, greater economy. Don't think it's exclusive of you, it's inclusive of you. What's your beef with critical race theory? It adds more fuel to the fire of the racist tendencies that we already have. We have a generation of problem solvers that can remedy the problem if they are properly taught what the problem is. You know who created redlining in this country? Mm -hmm. The white liberal. I don't, I don't give a damn who created it. If it's a racist policy, racist policy, Shelly, here's what I don't know. I don't know. See, there you go filibustering, brother. You're scared of this truth, but you're gonna get it, though.